Good morning and welcome to the worship service for Winkler Berchtaller Mennonite Church for April 25, 2021. We're glad that you can join us this morning. Uh, this morning I'll be preaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll be talking about tongues and prophesying and order in the church. So pull up a chair and join us, won't you?
Good morning. Every day is a blessing that the Lord has given us, and we want to extend a warm welcome to each of you who have joined us this Sunday morning here at the worship, uh, at the Winkler Berktaller Mennonite Church, where we have come together to worship. As you worship with us, we are praying that the Lord will lift any of your burdens as you lay them down at the cross. May you find rest and peace for your soul as you look into his word and find the promises that are there for you. As we begin the service, let us focus on the Lord through his word. The writer of Psalm 95 tells us this, starting at verse 1. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, pardon me, in his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the God, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Close quote. Take your bulletins with me as we go through the announcements this morning. On page two of your bulletin, this week at the Winkler-Berktaller Church, we find that on Tuesday at 9.30 a.m. in the morning, women's prayer meeting, 7 p.m., church council. Then on Wednesday at 7 p.m., faith classes, which is led by myself. Special thanks to Mary Duick and for a folding of the 2021 address directories. Uh, That was a lot of work, and we certainly appreciate what you have done. Remember to pray for our missionary of the week, Preston and Myra Wheeler, as they minister with Power to Change, teaching business leaders around the world how they too can share the gospel with those who are their friends. Remember those families in prayer who have lost loved ones. First of all, Mary... um, uh, the Mary Ham family, uh, who passed away on April the 15th, and then Lena Duick passed away on Monday, the April the 19th. There is also a note of thanks for the nominations committee. For all those who have accepted positions in the church, please take time to read your bulletin and see exactly what the nominations committee has said. And then a special note in regards to our worship services every Sunday. Now, due to the revised public health order, our church attendance plan will change for at least the following four weeks. Attendance numbers for our worship service have been reduced from 100 people to 50 people. This means that attendees will be able to attend every fourth week. What we will be doing is we will split group A that we had, and that will end up in group A and A1 and A2. And we'll do the same for group B. That will be divided up into group B1 and group B2. And thanks to all of you for your gracious uh, cooperation, and God bless you as you continue to worship with us each Sunday. Now, Awana... 
Um, in regards to one more announcement, we announced this last week, the Wana Children Ministry will not resume this spring. So plans are in place um, to start once again in September. Uh, just turn to page three of your bulletin. In 2021, church address directory is available on the table uh, uh, on the table in the foyer, and you are welcome to take one. This week, there are two community fundraisers: uh, Pembina Valley Pregnancy Count, uh, Pregnancy Care Center. There's a drive-by banquet fundraiser Wednesday, April the 28th, from 5 p.m. to 6. 30 p.m. at Morden Friendship Center. And um, you can, for more details, please call 325-7900. That's 329-7900. And then Faces of Gateway. Um, there is a fundraiser that will be held for two uh, on Tuesday, May the 6th and the 20th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. at Gateway Resources. The cost is $15. Once again, um, if you call uh, 362-4647 and a meal will be delivered to your vehicle. So that's number once again is 362-4647. Now this concludes our announcements for this morning. We would ask you at this time to please bow your heads with me and pray as um, we come before the Lord. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you to worship you and to praise you for being a God who loved us so much that you gave your one and only Son to die on our behalf. We praise you for who you are and not just for all the mighty deeds that you do. We worship you for who you are, almighty, patient, and kind and generous, loving, all-knowing, all-powerful, present everywhere, and at the same time, you are a God of justice and wrath but a God of mercy, grace, and love for all those who turn to you. Thank you that when we fail and sin against you, that you forgive us when we repent. Thank you that when we are weak, you give us strength. Thank you that when we pray according to your will, that you answer. Thank you that when we are broken, you bring healing and you restore us. Thank you that you have promised never to leave us or forsake us. You are our companion, our friend, our guide, our Lord, and our Savior. This morning, as we pray for those who are grieving, who have lost loved ones, we would ask that you would be with the family of Mary Ham. As she passed away on Thursday, April the 15th, she left behind her sister-in-law, Elizabeth Dirksen, Peter and Caroline Ham, may you bring them peace and comfort as they lean upon you for their support. May you strengthen them as their hearts are weak, and may you give them joy within. We pray for the family of Lena Neufeld who passed away on Monday, April the 19th. As a family grieves, may you, O Lord, bring to their hearts healing, grace, and your strength as they depend upon you. We thank you for the ministerial and deacons in our church who serve others with a servant's heart 
with servants' hearts as they minister. Thank you for George Elias, our newly elected deacon. May you give him, along with the other deacons, the wisdom, the strength, courage, guidance, and love, so that they will be examples and servants as they carry out their ministries. We pray for Preston and Myra Wheeler as they minister with power to change, teaching business leaders worldwide how they can share the gospel. May you multiply their ministry as they use the Internet to minister to business people around the world. Heavenly Father, we pray for our church and other churches, the well-being during these changing times in regards to COVID. We ask that the difficulties and hardships that is making many people go through, we will press even closer to you to become more dependent and our relationship would deepen as we walk with you. May you be our strength, our comforter, guide, and ultimately our reward. Heavenly Father, we pray for all those who participate in the service this morning through the singing, reading of the word, the ushering, the running the sound equipment and video equipment, that you would bless them as they serve. We pray for Pastor Victor as he brings the message that you would speak through him as he presents your word. May you be glorified as you go with us into the rest of this service and we'll be careful to praise you and lift you up and worship you this morning. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The next song is O Worship the Lord. Glory to the Father. 
song is Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Are you praising the Lord today? That's something my dad always asked. Are you praising the Lord? Are you thankful for God's amazing love for you, for us? Last week, Mrs. Anra told us a story about big and little, uh, what were their names? Nut brown hair. And talked about how much God loves us. And she said the verse John 3.16. Say it with me now again today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you very much. Are you thankful for God's love to you? Well, as you can see, I brought some stuffies with me. These were my daughter's stuffies, and she loved each one so very much, she just couldn't get rid of any of them. And uh, so I still have them. And here we have Rainbow Bear. This is Vitaly. He's from the Calgary Zoo. This is, can you guess, Ducky. And here we have Russ and Teddy and Ellie, the elephant. Now, they all look very different. They have different shapes and sizes and colors. But she loved everyone, all of them, so very much. They were all very special to her. You know, we also are very special to God. And we are also all very, very different. We have different shapes and sizes and colors. And we look, we look different. We sound different. And we are different. And God has given us different abilities and talents and interests. These are all from God. And, uh, He has given us all these different things 
And they're all very important. All of them are important as we work together and grow in the church. Now, do you know that God is the one who made us? Each one, beautiful and different and precious. Listen to what the Bible says to us about it. Now, this is from Psalm 39. Now, I'm going to tell you a trick about finding Psalms in the Bible. You know, it's kind of right in the middle of the Bible, so you just have to put your thumbs together and open. Good chance you're going to hit Psalms. Well, this one, Psalm, actually. This one is Psalm 139. Listen to what the Bible says. I'm going to actually read it from my paper because the print is bigger. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. Now, isn't this remarkable? God knit us together. He knew all about us even before we were born. And if you love Jesus, you are called God's special child. He made you. You are precious with all your own uniqueness, all your own talents and strengths. And he wants each one of us, he wants, wants each one of you to use what he has given you to be the best you that you can be. Because he loves us. He loves you. And we also want to show him that we love him. I'm going to sing a song, and I would like you to sing with me. It talks about being thankful to God for making us just who we are, wonderfully and precious and beautiful and different. And I'm going to ask Miss Helen to come and help me. Okay, this song is the butterfly song. If you know it, have a good time singing along with me. And if you don't, have a good time learning it with me. Let's sing. If I were a butterfly, I'd thank you, Lord, for giving me wings. And if I were a robin in a tree, I'd thank you, Lord, that I could sing. And if I were a fish in the sea, I'd wiggle my tail and I'd giggle with glee. But I just thank you, Father, for making me me. Cause you gave me a heart and you gave me a smile. You gave me Jesus and you made me your child. And I just thank you, Father, for making me me. If I were an elephant, 
I thank you, Lord, by raising my trunk. And if I were a kangaroo, I would hop right up to you. And if I were an octopus, I thank you, Lord, for my fine looks. But I just thank you, Father, for making me. Cause you gave me a heart and you gave me a If I were a wriggly worm, I thank you, Lord, that I could squirm. And if I were a crocodile, I thank you, Lord, for my big smile. And if I were a fuzzy wuzzy bear, I thank you, Lord, for my fuzzy wuzzy hair. But I just thank you, Father, for making me As you gave me a heart and you gave me a smile You gave me Jesus and you made me a child And I just thank you, Father, for making me That's a good thing to be thankful to God for who he has made us Let's pray, would you pray with me, please? Jesus, thank you so much that you love us so very much and that we are all very precious to you. Thank you that you have made us amazingly and wonderfully, each one different, each one different from the other. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our Savior, that you forgive our sins if we believe in you. And I pray that you would help us to use the strengths and abilities that you have given each one of us to show love to one another in the church and to show love and tell others outside of the church that you love them too. Father, we do love you. Thank you for all these things. Amen. Good morning. Today I will be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 20 to 33. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 20 to 33. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you were out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation 
All of these must be done with strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophecy in turn so that everyone can be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the controls of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Thus far the reading of today's word. Good morning. It's been a while since we were here in 1 Corinthians, but we are back to finish the tour. This morning we're going to uh, uh, be in chapter 14. So do you remember where we left off? Do you remember what was special about ancient Corinth? What were some of its identifying characteristics? If you recall, Corinth is in Greece, which stretches well into the Mediterranean from the north. The city of Corinth is uh, about straight east from the southern tip of Italy, and it sits on, a sh- on the shoreline of a narrow strip of land that joins the mainland with uh, kind of a, almost an island on the south. That narrow strip of land is so narrow, just four miles, that the Greeks were able to move boats and cargo across that uh, narrow strip of land back and forth from the Ionian Sea to the Aegean Sea. So you can imagine that this transportation corridor allowed Corinth to grow in trade, to become prosperous, and uh, to become multicultural and educated. Another distinguishing feature about Corinth was its reputation for sport. Corinth was home to the Isthmian Games, which were much like the Olympian Games, which took place in Olympia, just 80 miles west of Corinth. And we all know what big sporting events do. They draw crowds, and the crowds draw business. But Corinth was also a pagan city. And in, in it, there was a temple to the goddess of love and life. They called her Aphrodite. It was uh, the case in numerous ancient pagan religions uh, that they were fertility cults. In other words, uh, sex with temple prostitutes was their way to appeal to the gods to cause their land, their livestock, and their women to be fruitful. It is also reported that there were a thousand prostitutes connected with that temple of Aphrodite in Corinth. Commentator Leon Morris said of Corinth, it was intellectually alert, it was materially prosperous, but it was morally corrupt. So that's our quick overview of the city of Corinth. When I last spoke on 1 Corinthians, we were in chapter 12 and 13. Chapter 12 speaks about spiritual gifts and how God has constructed the human body as an analogy for the spiritual body, the church. The Holy Spirit is the one who distributes spiritual gifts to each one in the body of Christ. 
These gifts are given for the building up of the body. So when the Corinthians, out of jealousy, began to claim that they didn't belong because they didn't have a certain gift, or maybe because of pride they thought they had no need of others, Paul reminded them, in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. Of course, emphasizing that there is no place for division when one spirit is the source of all gifts. Then in chapter 13, Paul instructed them on love, the overarching attitude by which they were to exercise all their gifts given to them by the spirit for the good of the church. So now we enter chapter 14. And the first thing we read there is an instruction to, as the NIV says, follow the way of love. Another translation says, pursue love. Now, follow and pursue don't sound quite the same to me. So I did a quick word study, and I looked up the Greek word that is translated there to determine its meaning. The word is dioko, which means to run swiftly, to order, sorry, (laughs) to run swiftly in order to catch a person or a thing, to run after, to press on. Or another dictionary says, to do something with intense effort and with definite purpose or goal, to strive toward. So with that definition, pursue seems a better word than follow. So we are to pursue love, intensely strive for it, which is what chapter 13 is all about. So let's begin reading at chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Brings to mind a question right off the hop. Do we desire to prophesy? Maybe we should clear up any misunderstanding about what it means to prophesy. What do you think it means? Is it predicting the future? Is it declaring things that God has said only to me in a dream or a vision? Or is it something else? When God chose his prophets, he gave them his words to speak to the people. And I've thought about this on and off over the years, and I think it's just as simple as that. Whether God's word speaks of the past or the present or the future, prophecy or prophesying is taking God's word and speaking it to the people. So let's go with that definition, and we'll read that first verse again. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, 
unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So, what is speaking in tongues? Maybe we need another definition here. We all use our tongues to speak, but the word tongue also represents language. If we hear someone speaking in another language, we might say that they are speaking in another tongue. Now, there are some of you who speak two or three or more languages. For such a person to speak to us in all the languages that he or she knows, this is still not speaking in tongues, as the Bible uses it. Speaking in tongues is speaking in a language the speaker does not know. If you heard me speaking French, you would know that I was speaking in tongues, because I don't know a stitch of French. In the verses we just read, Paul is pointing out the effect of two different gifts, both of which are speaking gifts. Speaking in tongues is speech to God and builds up the one who speaks. Prophesying is speaking to people and builds up the church. Unless there's someone to interpret the tongues, it is of no use to the church. So let's keep reading. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or a harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if your tongue... Sorry, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is being said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves... Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. The point of these verses is that the message must be understandable. Someone might speak in tongues, but it must be something that will build up the church. As Paul says, some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. Speaking in tongues would be really useless if you're just spouting off recipes from the Mennonite treasury cookbook, for example. And this raises another question. If you're speaking in tongues, how do you know what is coming out of your mouth? Demons are also able to cause people to speak things they do not know. So Paul's emphasis on intelligible speech is really important. If someone is going to speak in tongues in the assembly of the saints, we need to know what is being said. Unintelligible speech does not build up the church. Let's keep going. Verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. 
I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now I'll admit, not all of this is completely clear to me, but let me tell you what I think. From verses 6 to 12, the previous passage that we read, we concluded that unintelligible speech does not build up the church. So verse 13, the beginning of this passage, naturally follows when it says, therefore one who speaks in the tongue should pray that he may interpret. Now if, as I said before, speaking in tongues is speaking a language you do not know, what is happening when one is able to interpret the unknown language that he has just spoken. It must mean that the Holy Spirit, who enables the speaking in tongues, also enables the speaker to to declare in his own language the meaning of the unknown language. If that interpretation does not happen, then you're left with the situation that Paul goes on to describe. He speaks in tongues through the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't know the language he has spoken. So as he said, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. In his experience, there's a disconnect between the mind and the spirit. Part of him is involved in worship, while the other part is out of touch. Imagine yourself speaking in tongues. You hear with your own ears the words coming out of your mouth, but your mind doesn't understand what you're saying. Part of you is engaged, and another part is not. Paul, therefore, determines that when he worships with his spirit, he will also worship with his mind, so that he can be engaged and that outsiders will be able to hear and understand. But this does require the interpretation. So Paul concludes that in the church, speaking five intelligible words of instruction to the church is of greater value than 10,000 words in a tongue. He prefers it because his aim here is to see that the church is built up. Tongues must be interpreted, but prophecy is preferred. Then he goes on to talk about mature thinking. Let's uh, pick it up in verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants and evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign for unbelievers, 
Sorry, not for unbelievers, but for believers. Did you get that? Tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Prophecy is a sign for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they will not, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But, if all prophecy and an un, sorry, if all prophesy and an unbeliever enters, he is convicted by all. And he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So what's he saying here? Paul is appealing, first of all, to the Corinthians to be mature in their thinking. No doubt they're excited to receive the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he brings. But without maturity, people tend to be selfish, uh, divisive. In chapter 3, Paul calls the Corinthians infants in Christ, noticing that there is jealousy and strife among them. In much of this letter, Paul addresses the divisions in the church, whether it is over who baptized who, distribution of spiritual gifts, lawsuits between brothers, sexual immorality, food offered to idols, or the Lord's Supper. In order for these divisions to be addressed, there needs to be maturity. And likewise, maturity is needed here if people are speaking in tongues. After asking for maturity, Paul then quotes Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12, which gives further clarity to speaking in tongues, actually. This Isaiah quote is from a passage that is a judgment on Ephraim and Jerusalem. Ephraim is a synonym for the northern kingdom. In it, Isaiah singles out the priests and prophets who in their drunken stupor have found the word of God to be a bunch of boring nonsense. And in the end, they fall, they are broken, they are snared and taken captive. So when Paul quotes this passage, it is clear to him that speaking in tongues is not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers. A sign that God has spoken, that people have not listened, and that judgment will follow. Prophecy, then, is a sign for believers and not unbelievers. And how is prophecy a sign for believers? Paul explains it in verse 24. When the unbelieving enter the assembly of believers, they hear the word of God preached, and they come under conviction and believe, that is a sign that God works through prophesying, through the preaching of the word. So let's back up for just a moment. What have we learned? In chapter 12, Paul addressed spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. In chapter 13, he taught us that these gifts must be exercised in love. And without love, these gifts are meaningless. And in chapter 14, Paul talks about spiritual gifts again, but only two of them. And why is that? Well, I would suggest that it is because these are speaking gifts. 
And speaking is a powerful way of influencing people and the primary means of preaching and teaching. Speaking God's word to people. I'm reminded of Romans 10 verse 14 which says, How then will they call on him whom they have not, on whom, sorry, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It is the spoken word that is critical in communicating the gospel to the unbeliever and in building up the church. So in discussing the merits and drawbacks of speaking in tongues and prophesying, Paul, though he himself speaks in tongues and seemed to delight in it, urged the church to excel in prophesying so that the church would be built up. If taking God's word to people is important, then it needs to be intelligible and understood. And clearly, prophesying is better for that purpose than speaking in tongues. Therefore, we need to exercise maturity when it comes to the speaking gifts and to strive to do what is best for the building up of the church. Another possible reason for uh, talking about these two specific gifts is that they are used for preaching and teaching in the assembly of the saints who are gathered for worship. So let's keep reading. And now we come to the part where Paul lays out some rules for orderly worship at verse 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. The line, when you come together, indicates that he is now talking about the worship time of the church. He reminds them that all things need to be done to build up the church. So they should make sure that they have interpreters ready when they'll be speaking in tongues. And with a little common sense instruction, he basically says, Take turns when you're speaking in tongues and when you're prophesying. It almost sounds like he's talking to a kindergarten class. But then he adds this line that I've often found confusing. He said, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Have you ever wondered what that meant? I sure did. And after thinking about it for a bit, I think what he's saying here is that even though you are gifted by the Holy Spirit, those gifts must be exercised with self-control. So, taking turns speaking and exercising self-control over their spiritual gifts are important for meaningful church gatherings. Mayhem and chaos are not signs of the Spirit of God at work. As Paul says, For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Or as it says in the NIV, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Now, I would like to breeze over these next few verses because they draw an unreasonable amount of attention due to the sensitivities of our current culture. And we risk losing the main thrust of this chapter, 
but I won't avoid them. Remember that Paul is giving instruction for orderly worship and that his concern is for building up the church and that it should all be done in love. So let's keep reading. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute, but notice what comes next. Paul already anticipated some pushback, so it looks like this controversial teaching isn't anything new. He continues in verse 36, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So Paul is insisting quite strongly that his teaching is from the Lord. And since it is, how are we going to handle it? At WBMC, we have said that we are a people who stand on the word of God. So when we come to challenging teachings, are we going to do like others and find ways to discredit or dismiss the scripture? I recognize that this is a tough passage for some of us to read. But here it is, and we need to deal with it. Perhaps a better question to think about might be this. If this is what the Bible says, how can we obey it and maintain the dignity of personhood that we believe the scriptures also teach? First, let's remember some things we already know. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul already acknowledges that women pray and prophesy. So the instruction in chapter 14 is not a blanket prohibition. The context here is the saints gathered for worship. The aim here is to establish order. If we look at other passages that present similar instruction, I think we will find that there is consistency. This instruction, for example, is consistent with the principle of headship, as taught in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. If a man is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, then teaching and preaching leadership in the assembly of Christians should happen through men. This this instruction is also consistent with 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 or 12, which say, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or have, uh, sorry, or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. This is further indication that men should do the teaching where men and women are both present. The restriction on women, however, has a definite countering effect. What it does is place the responsibility of Christian leadership squarely on the men. It is the husband and father's responsibility to be the spiritual head in the home. 
He must lead his wife and children in Christian living, by example, and lead them to the scriptures and lead them to prayer. He should read and know the word so that he can discuss the scriptures with his family and teach them. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, after Eve plucked the forbidden fruit and ate and gave some to her husband, who was it that God went looking for? Whom did God confront and hold responsible? Adam, wo bist du? God held Adam responsible for the fall. That responsibility of Christian headship and leadership falls on men. In this whole chapter, Paul is addressing only two gifts, speaking in tongues and prophesying. He also addresses the assembly of the saints for worship, that there might be order. Therefore, it is reasonable to conclude that the restriction he places on women in chapter 14 regards the exercise of these two gifts in the context of the assembled body of believers. Does that mean that women presenting children's story is a problem in church? No. They are addressing and teaching the children. Does it mean that women cannot read scripture? I would say no. But they should refrain from commentary on scripture in the worship service. Personal testimony is also permissible because it is a witness of a person's own experience with God. I'll probably get an earful from somebody after, after this sermon gets heard. But, uh, if any of you would like to talk to me a little further about this, I would be happy to talk to you. So give me a call and we can make, uh, make an appointment to meet. To wrap up his instructions for orderly worship, Paul says this. So my brothers, Notice he's talking to the men. Earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. I think we've managed to keep things orderly in our worship services. And speaking in tongues, uh, as far as I know, doesn't seem to be an issue here. But are we all desiring to prophesy? Are we yearning to take the word of God to people who need to hear it? This is what we are encouraged to do. It can happen in the coffee shop, at work, at the arena, in the ball diamond, and in many other places. And it is in these other places where both men and women can and should prophesy. I entitled my message, How Are We to Worship? What I think 1 Corinthians 14 is telling us is this. Number one, pursue love. Everything we do should be done in love. Number two, we should strive to excel in building up the church. And number three, when we come together, we should do things decently. And in order. Because our God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Would you pray with me? 
Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this teaching. And thank you for telling us that you are a God of order. And as we look at creation around us, as we observe what science has all uncovered, and as we observe what is available to the naked eye, we see over and over that there is order in everything that you have made. So, Father, we want to be a people who are orderly in our meetings and in the exercise of our gifts. I also pray, Father, that you would um, fill us with your Spirit to give us courage to take on the task of prophesying, to be willing to take your word to the people that we meet, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to preach and to prophesy to our friends and neighbors that there is a God in heaven and that he loves people and that forgiveness of sin is available along with eternal life. So, Father, as we ponder these thoughts today, I pray that you would inhabit our hearts and minds and bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing song is Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. Closing benediction and blessing, would you receive these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, this benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And the blessing from Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Have a good day.